everyone I know has has a mental health thing that they are very aware of and that is preventing them from reaching their full potential. Maybe that's the, you know, that maybe that's what it is to be human. But I also think people are well aware that our society is broken. The way we work and function is broken. Our medical systems are broken. They're not looking at the whole body. They're not even considering the spiritual side, which impacts so much of our health. So I love mushrooms because they teach us all of this really quickly. It's just so accelerated. Um, and at the same time, you know, your own, the, the trip is only going to be a reflection of who you are. listening to Conversations for the Mystically Curious, a podcast brought to you by Kismet Berlin. On our show, we will interview creators, makers, and just generally inspiring people working in the realms of esoteric spirituality, science, and the arts. Hello, everyone. I'm back for another episode. I feel like Sophia Nygaard when I say that. So this interview has been sitting on my hard drive since last summer. I know, I know, it's not easy being a solopreneur, so sometimes things end up taking a backseat. Nonetheless, the interview is still super relevant, and it is a true delight to be able to release this one out into the wild, as it is with my best friend Will McDowell, writer, producer, and director. When faced with massive debt and a big question mark of where he needed to go next in his professional evolution, Will took mushrooms for the first time and went on a trip that changed his life forever. He describes a distinct moment of feeling like he was stepping into the light and shedding all that held him back. Since then, Will has managed to weave his spirituality into every aspect of his life, both professionally and personally, whether it be through his daily rituals, the projects he works on, or how he channels his creativity. In this episode, recorded in June 2021, Will and I discuss psychedelics and their impact on mental health, how humans are interbreeding with aliens, being a queer man in spiritual circles, and his work on the album art for Little Nas X. Hey, Will. Hey, Joey. How's it going? How does it feel to be on the podcast? Well, as a lover of Kismet and an early supporter, I'm really happy to be here. And um, yeah, how's it going? Well, there's a lot to unpack with you. Um, You are a very multi-layered person and uh, I really want people to kind of get a feel of for all the things that you've done in your life and all your different jobs and your different interests. Um, You know, I really think you're somebody of many talents. But uh, just to kind of sum it up, I guess, initially, if you were at a party and somebody asked you the proverbial question, what do you do? How do you answer? Well, thank you for being so kind about me. I feel very two-dimensional, but I'm glad that you see me as more 3D. I would say the answer to that question is I'm a writer, a novelist specifically, but I'm also a producer and a filmmaker. So my work is about writing. It's also about adapting my writing for film and TV. Yeah, so you've always been very much steeped in the creative world. And I mean, you were a precocious wee lad when you set out on your creative journey, even um, ever since I've known you and and way before. You directed your first feature film, Never Better, at the age of 21. Uh, When did you realize that you needed to dedicate your life to the creative process? So it begins when I was four years old. And there was a casting call for the live action, um, the live action 101 Dalmatians film that filmed in my town, strangely enough. And my mum saw it and I guess decided that my twin sister and I needed to be in it. So she put us in dressing gowns. I wore a blue one and my twin sister wore a pink one. And we went to set for, I believe, two or three days or mornings very early and we filmed the scene and um amazingly we were just extras we were just background amazingly there is a two second two and a half second shot in the film when the dogs are coming home where me and my sister are standing there holding hands so we made the movie mm-hmm. and I I remember my mom tells me about that experience there was a dog wrangler And she kept telling the dogs on cue to bark. She would say, bark, bark. And I turned to my mum and said, I don't want to bark. And I didn't really 
understand that it wasn't my job to bark but I know that it really the story really begins there because from there I became a child actor of sorts and uh, entered drama and theatre competitions and and that kind of unlocked that way of storytelling for me. You've always been surrounded by a lot of creative people as well that have also gone on to do interesting things. Um, I mean, you went to school with people who have also ended up becoming musicians, artists. I mean, was that a big influence as well on maybe uh, allowing you to explore that avenue at such a young age? Yeah, I mean, I had the most privileged education when it comes to access to the arts. And it wasn't always particularly free or open the way we were taught how to you know play with paint or draw or um, move or act there's definitely a rigidity to my education that I've had to really unlearn but I had amazing teachers and um, yeah access to you know a film program when I was 13 years old and um, and I did that until I left school high school at 18 so I've had immense privilege which has really helped you know um, teach me things I'd say earlier than most people get to learn them at the same time I also think that you know artists gravitate towards artists and I'm inspired always to collaborate and meet people who are doing interesting things and I've been so fortunate enough to continually not only bump into new people doing amazing things but to watch actually people I grew up with doing incredible work. I mean, one example, I just saw the musical Six on Broadway last night, and that was written by someone I grew up with, Toby Marlowe. And he co-wrote it with his friend from university, and they put that play on at Cambridge, you know, with no budget. And and now, I think it's only three years later, might be four, but not a long time. I think it's three years later, it's on Broadway. Massive, massive production. Wow. It's, it's going to be a huge hit. So, uh, at the same time, you know, I'm I'm around people who are constantly making me um, kind of, yeah, keep my eyes on the goal of what I'm trying to achieve. And, and I find that really exciting. Well, it's also ironic because your, your first film, Never Better, that I mentioned earlier, was actually kind of a commentary on art school and, and, uh, <laughs> and art students. Uh, I mean, what provoked you to make that film and I guess how do you feel about it now that film I haven't watched for a long time but it was an amazing exercise and I still work with the DP um so if nothing else what a great experience to work so closely with someone who many many years later I'm still working with what I feel that that film was calling out and I kind of have already mentioned it it's just like the way we're taught art and the way that um, we institutionalize creativity. For me, that's just something that's really interesting and kind of problematic. Like, I don't enjoy being in the art world in any way. I don't really enjoy going to openings. I don't enjoy even going to a lot of galleries. Um, there's a rigidity in the way that we approach art that I feel prevents people from accessing their creativity. It makes it something that's really elitist or um, that we think is inaccessible or that just as creatives, we think, oh, we're not good enough. We see all of these, like, um, these institutions holding people up and we compare ourselves. So I'm learning more and more to just really trust my own instincts as a writer, as an artist. And, um, yeah, to trust my own instincts first and then seek feedback or approval afterwards. Well, I met you when you were, I think, 18 or 19 in New York, uh, you actually also helped me out doing during uh, New York Fashion Week because I was doing street style photography, and that's kind of how we we bonded. And it's been a <laughs> been a long friendship ever since. Um, but you were always super motivated to move to the U.S. after that, and you finally ended up doing so, moving permanently a, a few years ago. Um, and your journey has been anything but stable uh, up until recently but you really had conviction about what you wanted to do and who you wanted to be. And I feel that that's what kept you pushing forward until ultimately landing you, uh, I guess we could say a dream job of sorts right now in New York. Um, could you tell us more about that and how you managed to stay strong throughout all those ups and downs and, and changes? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm not sure I did stay strong and maybe that's part of the success, right? Is there were many points where I wasn't strong. 
but I think spirituality is really what kept me sane in times when my family life was upended, you know, my financial situation was all over the shop. I think what's kept me going is this sense that there's like something much larger and bigger than us. And then not just the sense of it, but really getting to know that and trust that. So yeah, I've like bopped around and freelance. I've been in America now for I'm coming up six years and I'm sure I'll be here for a lot longer. It really does feel like home. And at the same time, this is an immensely difficult place to live. And I still lean on um, yeah, my spiritual side to make sense of, of the world here. And what what I'd say really changed things for me was a mushroom experience. I had accumulated a lot of debt and I was invited um, you know, to a friend's birthday party. I had just met this friend and he said, come to my party. And I was like, all right, well, what is it? And he's like, well, we're going to Joshua Tree and we're going to Big Bear, you know, two amazing spots in California, the desert, but also the forest. And he invited me out and I was like, well, of course I have to go. So I went, you know, there were like 12 of us and I'd never met anyone, but we sat around in a circle and it was the mushrooms were presented and it was like, hey, we're doing this ceremony. Would you want to join? And I was like, okay. And I'd never taken mushrooms before. I had taken LSD. Um, so I felt relatively kind of safe and excited to go there, but I had no idea that the dose would be so high. And I remember taking just a huge dose of mushrooms and it really collapsed my reality. It was painful. I threw up. Um, I didn't cry as such, but I had just the biggest, most agonizing breakthrough that I needed help. Like I needed help in every sense of my life, professional, personal, spiritual, and financial. And so I had this breakthrough. I used to always wear black clothes and my suitcase for that weekend was only black clothes. It wasn't even a conscious thing. It's all I had. And I remember taking off these clothes and saying to my friend Milo, Milo, can I can I wear those pointing to this like pile of his clothes on the floor? And he used to wear a lot of white and he was like, yeah, please. And, and he like helped dress me. And it was an amazing moment. And I think since then my spirituality has been something that like is really front and center in how I operate. And a lot of people I know don't even know that, but it it's front and center in my world, in my head, in my mind, in my body, my heart. It's not something that I try and, um, over evangelize but it's something that keeps me really sane when things go wrong why i mean now looking back and actually you still dress in white pretty much uh, the whole time right um mm -hmm. what what do you think draws you to that what do you think that represents for you yeah i mean i think stepping into the light is uh sounds cliche but it's really the thing it was in, like stepping into my own light the realization that just because i was I'd racked up credit cards in my like freelance hustle that it didn't make me a bad person. It wasn't a reflection of who I was and that I needed to remind myself actually of who I was and the good person I am. And that's hard to do. You know, I think as a growing up as a gay kid, it's, um, it's not necessarily in my DNA or in my hard wiring to think of myself as a good person. And so I have mm. to, and I enjoy wearing white as just a reminder of that. And then at the same time, there's an accountability. Like, you know, when you're standing in line or something's taking ages and you want to scream at someone, like wearing the white is a good reminder to just like not do that. Like don't lose your shit and don't get lost in the human game too much. So, I mean, I still had a meltdown at UPS the other day when their printer was broken. <laughs> But it was yeah, a, it was a, that's it, normal and, though. <laughs> but I didn't, you know, but I didn't take it out on anyone. I sort of just like collapsed on the floor. And I feel like the white is just a great reminder to just <laughs> stay in the lane I like being in. You said that it wasn't hardwired in your DNA to, I guess, uphold certain beliefs about yourself. I mean, do you also feel that maybe the spiritual beliefs that you hold today are a real departure from? things you grew up with as a child or in your family? Well, I was raised Catholic and to very loving parents. So I actually feel like the, it's not necessarily anyone's fault that that was there. I also think I, you know, came into this body, this life, this experience and this family 
to learn, you know, all the things. So I think that's what we all do. So I've had to learn in my lifetime so far, yeah, self-love and also self-compassion and self-forgiveness and put self in front of anything. And I've had to like learn it. I definitely was raised in a culture that doesn't believe or didn't believe, but I'd say almost still doesn't, doesn't believe in any unseen world. Like uh, the idea that spirits exist and can visit us, the idea that our loved ones still remain in some form when they depart and that they can communicate with us. Um, you know, all of these beliefs are not widely accepted in the UK. However, the more I talk about them with people, actually, I question that. I think, no, I think people remember. And I think in like the Celtic lineages that are there, you know, the UK is so diverse now. There's so many other spiritual lineages around that people are beginning to open up to the idea that there's like much more than we understand. Well, maybe it's also a bit of a return, too, because, I mean, uh, England is such a pagan place. I mean, it has mm -hmm. like some really deep energetic centers like, you know, uh, Glastonbury, I believe, is one yeah. of them. Um, and so maybe it's just like people now are finally kind of coming back to to their ancestral heritage. I think there's an interest in that. And for me, it's no mistake that the most amazing music cultural festival, you know, Glastonbury takes place in Glastonbury, which is known as the heart chakra of the world, a really sacred site. It's the kind of the King Arthur myths are from there. It's just the most magical, beautiful place when you go. You can just feel it in the land and it's been a very sacred place, obviously, for thousands of years. So it's no mistake that like, you know, such an epic festival that is totally non-corporate um, exists there. And I think people do remember. So even if it means going to Glastonbury and like getting shit faced, I think there is an ancestral remembrance that's bringing people to that experience. Um, yeah. Yeah, I also read recently that actually New York City is sitting on some sort of really highly ener energetic, yeah, highly crystalline. vibrational, yeah. crystalline, yeah, uh, yeah, like sort of crest, I guess, or underneath the crest, I mean, so, and they're saying that this is why New York is such like a high energy, high, like, uh, uh, fast paced place. Do you, do you, do you think there's some truth in that? Yeah, I think I saw that on TikTok too. And I, I laughed and I was like, well, <laughs> I love that's, that's our reference today. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, of course, that makes perfect sense. I mean, New York is standing on a very firm bedrock, which is why skyscrapers can be here. It's very hard to build skyscrapers somewhere like London. It's much harder than it is, especially Dubai, but it's much harder uh, than it is here. It's very easy. So like, you know, there are things, whether you're spiritual or not, there are things in the landscape that are always going to dictate how a city or environment um, shapes up. Um, but I do also think everyone describes New York as, you know, electric or magnetic um, or like inescapable in a way. And oh, yeah. yeah, there's this, I love the idea that there's this um, <laughs> legit giant crystal kind of <laughs> under New York that is bringing certain people of certain vibrations here to learn or experience something um and hey like I left and came back so maybe it was the crystal yeah when I read that it, it made so much sense to me because I I when I lived in New York uh for seven years I actually uh tried to leave three times I made it on the third attempt but every time I felt like there was literally some sort of force field that was keeping me back like I've never felt that with any other city it was so strong yeah, I remember your many attempts to leave New York, and I'm glad for you that you did eventually escape, but I wouldn't be surprised if one day the crystals decides to bring you back. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what would you say your spiritual routine is? Like, what are some of the things that you now implement on a daily basis in your life? I'd love to say, you know, I meditate five times a day, and... <laughs> And I do yoga all the time and I've done phases, you know, I used to really do those things. What I feel now is my spiritual practice. One, writing my books. First and foremost, that's what I'm here to do. And that is a spiritual practice. And to honor and accept that is the best feeling ever. But I also do things that are really simple. Like I have an ancestral altar and I make water offerings and daily and I, um, 
<laughs> I just felt like I got a whisper there of like, oh, well, you forgot yesterday. But uh, I usually do a daily water offering and I do um, various like food offerings to that side of the altar. And then I have a regular altar, which I um, sometimes talk to. I talk to my ancestors and I ask them for things. I also thank them when things go well. So I just try and keep those things going. I say thank you to whoever's listening, myself, God, the universe, whatever, before I go to bed. That really helps. Like I, I ask for parking spots and they always show up. And when they show up, I say thank you. I love so, that. yeah, those are my That's practices. That's such a New York like, problem. <laughs> sure. Yeah. A New York my solution, pra- I guess, in your case. <laughs> Definitely. So my practices are quite grounded and um, not as like aspirational as some. But hey, in the small things, like I really engage with my houseplants. <laughs> I water them and I, I care for them. And like those things to me feel like practices, even walking my dog in the morning, um, trying to put my phone away. That feels like a spiritual practice in itself. And I know that's something that's come up on your podcast before. I mean, that's very much also like mindfulness, essentially, uh, what you're describing. I mean, uh, concentrating on daily tasks and putting more intention and appreciation and gratitude into them. I feel like the least mindful person who's ever existed because I'm always juggling a million projects and I'm texting 10 different people about stuff while walking the dog and trying not to work. So I have a lot of work to do in that region. You talked about how uh, mushrooms have been a big uh, turning point, I guess, for you, or a big uh, influence on essentially, I guess, how you see the world and your, you know, how you live your life and your your mental health. Um, There's a lot more information going around these days about microdosing and the use of uh, mushrooms for mental health. There's more and more studies being done. what are your thoughts on this? Because, I mean, I think it, it, it seems like this could be a really big sea change uh, when it comes to uh, people's mental health. Everyone I know has has a mental health thing that they are very aware of and that is preventing them from reaching their full potential. Maybe that's the, you know, that maybe that's what it is to be human. But I also think people are well aware that our society is broken. The way we work and function is broken. Our medical systems are broken. They're not looking at the whole body. They're not even considering the spiritual side, which impacts so much of our health. They're not thinking about the way we think and how the way we think impacts our health. So I love mushrooms because they teach us all of this really quickly. It's just so accelerated. Um, and at the same time, you know, your own, the, the trip is only going to be a reflection of who you are. And, and I, I feel like, you know, there are, it's just a wonderful, kind medicine. And I want to say like, oh, you know, only take it if you feel like, you know, you're mentally prepared. And at the same time, we live in a culture that promotes, you know, alcohol sale and getting really drunk, being totally fine. So I'm not going to put any warning on mushrooms. You know, it's up to the individual to decide uh, whether they're going to be beneficial or not. And for me, they've been amazing. And I will take many more in my life. I read a really fascinating uh, essay not that long ago by Aldous Huxley. uh, And I think it was written in the late 50s or early 60s. And he took peyote, which is another Mm. natural hallucinogenic that's often used in shamanic rituals. And he was under surveillance. But basically, the essay is him uh, retranscribing his experience. Like, I think they were recording him. Uh, they had like an audio recording so he could actually transcribe even like things he said and the observations he made. And mm-hmm. I mean, it was really, it was such a progressive text because he was basically saying like, he's like, I think this is the key to, you know, human beings well being. And he's like, yeah, I don't understand why we can sell alcohol and cigarettes, which have been proven to be just so detrimental to humans when clearly, yeah. uh, things like, like, you know, peyote or, or mushrooms are actually natural. They've been around for thousands of years and, and can really benefit humans. And it was just such an eye opener to read this text, you know, from so long ago and that, you know, it's been suppressed for so long. And yeah, finally, yeah. we're coming around to this again. I think what I always say to people is, sure, you can take them with friends at a party or at the beach. But what I really have benefited from myself is putting, you know, the air conditioner or the heater on perfectly putting my music on for four five hours so that I don't need to touch it there's loads of great playlists on Spotify 
lying down on a yoga mat with a blanket or starting in the bath. Actually, that is great too. Water is um, a really kind of helpful thing for like bringing emotions up and, mm-hmm. and accessing the subconscious. So, yeah. um, and then I usually move from the bath to my yoga mat. <laughs> I dry off if anyone was wondering. And, <laughs> and then like, sometimes I roll around and move my body and sometimes I'll just like feel the thing coming up and, if there's a nervousness or a tension, I'll just like face it and look at it. And um, if I trip with somebody else, we try not to talk. We do a debrief at the end, which is like a good four hours later. Mm. And sometimes I go on a walk, but usually I'll stay inside. And that feels, you know, like I'm doing the internal work and, and doing it in an environment that's safe. You know, right. they talk about set, setting as being super key in psychedelics. And I think being somewhere that's quite peaceful, safe and controlled is is going to allow you to do the internal work but at the same time you know if I have friends who go to concerts and and take mushrooms and also have a crazy experience I feel like for me I had a lot of internal gunk to get out before I could even entertain the idea of being out in the world on mushrooms um I feel like for me I like doing them and oh also at night Bet Williams talks about this um Maria Sabina um, a real mushroom pioneer she was adamant that you had to do them at night because you'll get so distracted in the day that they'll torment you and I feel like oh. there's also truth in that interesting uh, speaking about work again how do you think that spirituality weaves its way into your work and your creative process like do you see the two converging are they separate entities to you is the spirituality more just keeping you sane in order to work like how would you describe that as a writer, I channel write, so I don't really know where my stories are going. I usually get a great sense of the emotion behind them, the energetic footprint, as I call it, um, or I get a sense of the characters and their world and maybe where the thing ends. But I often don't know what happens, you know, beyond the first page and after the last So I find that when I write, I sit down and I just allow the book to like work through me, which means I just type and it usually always takes me in some crazy direction and I don't really understand why. And I've learned now to just trust it and to allow the story to write itself. So I'd say that for me is, yeah, the work and the spirituality comes together in that sense. When I'm on set making work, Uh, as a producer that's an interesting one because often that work feels very disconnected or has felt very disconnected from my spirituality until recently so I ran a production company called Mooj Productions and we just did Lil Nas X um the album cover for Montero so which actually came out today I think the day we're recording when I was preparing the questions earlier I realized actually what an odd coincidence that uh he literally, or he birthed his album, so to speak, because that's how he represented himself on all of right. social media. Um, but yeah, it also, it came out today. Like, what a funny coincidence. <laughs> yeah, it did. And so that that was one of those jobs where I was like, oh, awesome. Thank God. Like, it's coming together. Like, I'm producing something that is so linked to, you know, my idea of what art is and um, and my hopes for humanity. So there are times where it crosses over in my production work, and that feels really fulfilling. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit more about this little NAS project, because, I mean, this is, this is a big deal. I mean, this was a, a big coup for you. I mean, uh, honestly, your career definitely led up to it, but, I mean, it was definitely, a, a, I would say, a, a pretty massive thing even for you to to undertake. I mean, you were one of the, the creative forces behind all the imagery that people can now see uh, for his album. Um, so how what was that experience like? And also, uh, the imagery, it's worth mentioning, is is deeply esoteric and metaphysical. So... Like, how do you think that came about? Like, why do you think this is important to Little Nas? Like, you know, what, how did this project sort of come to be? So Lil Nas works with Charlotte Rutherford a lot, who's, um, I think she's on Instagram as Charlie Chops. She's a fantastic photographer. She works with many, many musicians um, that, that we all know. And, um, but she also makes work that's like very alternative and different but she's hyper digital and she builds these kind of crazy worlds and at the same time she's just a master of getting people to pose um 
And so it came about because she asked me to, you know, help her produce this, make this happen. So we took it on. But in terms of the images, I know that his team and his creative director, Hodo Massa, who's awesome, such a great human, um, she was really interested in just honoring the spiritual side of him as an artist, but also his success. And so they worked together, Hodo, the creative director, and Charlotte, the um, the photographer, to build this kind of like almost Atlantean, fairy, elfish-inspired mm. world that, um, you know, references like butterflies and transformation. It represents ascension. The album cover is his body kind of rising up through this like heaven atlantis kind of space. And there's a sort of Jesus image. Yeah, and so there's some imagery, you know, that references like chakra points, which actually there are a few little micro moments referencing those in some of the videos that he just released. So there's definitely a world behind Lil Nas X that is evolving and it's about, you know, really finding who you are and honoring it. And again, like it's about stepping into the light. It's such a beautiful thing, I think, for him. And similarly, going through the queer male experience, I'm sure his was different by nature of him being black and my, you know, mine being a white experience. And at the same time, we do share that queer male um, struggle, I have no doubt. And I, I feel like that also is something he talks about in the album and that that's been really present in his career is sort of totally owning that. And the album cover for me is so special because it represents totally owning who you are. Um, and I got whispers that, you know, certain people thought that it was like too naked. And I love that. <laughs> I love that it's considered like in any way too naked. And I'm really glad it was published in its, you know, proper state and that it wasn't modified mm. by anyone in the end. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> progress um i mean yeah little naz has really uh broken a lot of molds i guess if you want to put it that way i mean you know as as a, a black queer uh rapper musician i mean uh to be so openly uh forthcoming with your sexuality with how you present yourself is is really refreshing um and I'm just kind of, I guess I want to kind of segue into, you know, you mentioned about being, you know, a, a queer man and, and, you know, the struggles of, of that. Um, what do you think, like, what have your experiences been being a gay man in spiritual circles? Well, I think it's a, it's an interesting question. I felt I think there's a queer thing that is really beautiful about being able to not exactly uh, transcend gender, but to, yeah, kind of operate in a way that taps into more female energies while also, you know, working with the masculine ones. There's like a balancing act that a lot of us queer people are always doing that I think is very interesting. And so I found myself many times, many workshops or um, yoga classes, particularly in LA, I often found myself the only man. And um, it was interesting. It was like, you know, I, I felt like teachers didn't modify or change the class because I was there, which gave me a window into the female experience. And like, what a privilege to be able to like, see both sides of how, you know, people, not that it's always that binary, but like, it was, it was, yeah, it's been humbling. I mean, I, I'm in a Kundalini class where I've pretty much always been the only guy in it. And, and so even some of the exercises are tailored to women and the pain and, um, yeah, pain and suffering and and grief that is stored in the womb. Mm. And my teacher sometimes will not even modify for me, which yeah. I kind of kind of love. It's like a, there's this sense of, um, yeah, I'm in a women's space and I'm allowed to be there, but it's not, you know, it's not modified in any way because I'm there. I, I think that's such a cool thing. At the same time, it does in a lot of the like LA wellness culture that I experienced which is very parodied a lot of the time and mocked what I was disappointed to see was that there were so few men mm. in these spaces or healing spaces led by women and actually a lot of men need help healing their feminine 
sides and they need that help yeah. from women. And I think that's a, the space that I hope will start to evolve. Why do you think, though, they're not present? Because that was the question I was just going to ask you. Like, why, why are they absent? I suppose it would take an awful lot of self-work for, you know, a man, a heterosexual man, to kind of be ready to enter a space that is led by women and works with female energies. It's not something, you know, that's easy to do. And maybe it's also just like vibrational, like a lot of men are not at the right frequency to enter those spaces in a way that would be conducive for both parties. I don't have any other answers than that, but I do find that like the queer waiver is, a, is such a gift in terms of just broadening um, the kind of perspectives I get on, on gender stuff. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the few times I've seen, I guess, documentaries, reports where they show men's circles, even, um, where uh, men are opening up about their feelings and, you know, kind of about really deep trauma and things like that. Um, it is always so profound. And like, you know, you see these men kind of being stripped back to their bare bones and like, you know, they, you know, they, they're holding just as much grief and, and and heartbreak and trauma. Um, but it's just amazing how, you know, we, we rarely see that, you know, we rarely see these, these situations where men allow themselves that space. And I, I find that a bit of a shame. And I do hope that it, it increases in the future that more men feel that they can use these tools, uh, to, to release themselves, so to speak. Yeah. I know the Rama Institute in New York has a men's league which is like led by men and really is encouraging men to be open and vulnerable and like work on all sorts of stuff and on our ancestral things and societal things um, without like, you know, shaming. And I think that's awesome. But it, I think the real progress is when we can do this work together, you know, male and female. Yeah. I, th I think the more we go towards a non-binary world where there's just sort of less distinctions between genders i i really believe that it, it it's going to be much more positive and helpful for everybody because yeah everybody has within them yin and yang and, and the masculine and the feminine and we should be able to embrace both sides of ourselves without shame as you said yeah exactly well next i want to bring up a topic that i know you love and that you're very enthusiastic about which is aliens um Please. i remember when you first started telling me you were working on a book or a project relating to aliens. And I was like, what is he on about? <laughs> I was like, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the concept of aliens. But at first I was like, I don't understand what he means. What is he talking about? He needs to explain this to me. And then actually between some of the things that you told me, and then there's also been the whole thing with like the disclosure and like these images coming out pretty much proving that aliens exist or that, you know, there's these unidentified things flying around us all the time and sightings. I mean, I, I do get it more now that this, this possibility that aliens are actually amongst us all the time and <laughs> they're, they're here to teach us lessons perhaps, or things like that. So, um, just, yeah, if you could tell us more about, you know, what your feelings are on this topic and, and, uh, and I guess, yeah, anything that you're working on in relation to that. I found myself on Gaia.com watching a series called Interviews with Extra Dimensionals, and there my mind just exploded. I didn't understand anything that people were saying. They were using all sorts of terminology, like insectoids or mantis beings, gray beings. Um, but what I loved is... I. I was watching these interviews with channelers who channel these beings and the series is so cool because they do an interview with the channel who talks about how they work and then they do a channeled session. So you get both, you get like, how did this come to be? And then you get the channeled message from the alien beings. And what I found by watching these videos is all of the humans interviewed were just so together and you know, they're, they're, there's not, they're, they're not proving anything. They're just humans like us who have tapped into this gift to, you know, many of them to their own surprise are now convening with these alien beings. And so I began to shift my perspective that, you know, an alien is not a UFO in the sky. That's one way. 
but the most common contact is through what I call the heart portal or even just telepathy um, or even just closing your eyes and imagining a conversation. Very often that imagining is the channeling. And when I understood that, it not only helped my writing, but it totally convinced me that aliens are real. So I recommend that series, Interviews with Extra Dimensionals. It's also on Vimeo and it's on Gaia.com. It's wonderful. And there's two seasons and a third one coming out. So it's dense. There's loads to watch. Mm. But I found myself really drawn to the idea that, you know, um, interbreeding is happening, that uh, alien abductions are real experiences. And that um, on some level, whether we are aware of it or not, there is this like sense that in this galaxy, this universe, we are genetically modified. We always have been. That's the story of humanity and it's the story of all species. And <laughs> when I look at the like Lil Nas X cover today, it really is also solidifying that for me is that, yeah, we're going through this massive transformation and it's not just happening in our minds it's happening in our bodies and like um we are extraterrestrial you know we are an alien species and uh you know we didn't just the the story of our biology is not as simple as i think we've been told it is and it makes sense you know every year they discover these these fossils and these branches of humanity that just don't add up like right. they discovered super huge humans they discovered um, beings that yeah they've never seen before that have no link to home, like homo sapiens but were around at the same time and and then you look now I mean TikTok loves to show me this stuff but you look at Egypt and and mm. it's it's painted clear as day you know beings flying in crafts it's yeah. so funny that we have denied all this when it's so obvious and so in our face and I think now we just have to come to terms with like what we're willing to acknowledge and look at and accept when it comes to aliens yeah well it's interesting you said you know to, to sort of reframe it and say like we're we are extraterrestrials i mean i think that if a lot of humans actually thought of themselves that way it's more humbling you know it sort of takes us out of the center of the universe which i think a lot of human beings think we are um which is obviously not true at all so and yeah i mean uh it just seems more feasible to me, you know, that we are surrounded by all sorts of other presences, you know, from perhaps different parallel universes, from ha perhaps from the uh -huh. past or the future, from wormholes. I mean, again, I always like to go back to quantum physics. I mean, you know, if people need science to back things up, just look at quantum physics, because all these ideas behind uh, wormholes and black holes and things like that, I mean, pretty much back up the possibility that you know somebody from light years away could be in fact visiting us now exactly and i i think that's so exciting you know i just watched interstellar which is um not how i feel is like you know i don't feel like interstellar is necessarily a great place to start for um aliens but in terms of just thinking about how about like you know a future human coming back and reconvening with us uh, that's something that just makes so much sense to me. Like I, I took mushrooms recently and it, it kind of came to me that the mushrooms are like a portal and a gift from future humanity. And it, they've been left as little breadcrumbs to, to help us kind of accelerate and accept change. I also think we're in a time in humanity where we are. And I sensed, you know, there's a similarity again for me with my mushroom trip the initial one that really changed my life, it, it was like I needed help. And I, I was so in this labyrinth in my mind and body of like trying to like not deny it, but hide from the fact I needed help, that I needed to admit that I had like debt and I needed help and I couldn't outrun it and that I needed work and that I needed all sorts of things to like and support and love, you know, to get out of this really dark place that I think debt was just a part of. Um, but we're like that as humans, we're running around thinking like, how do we fix the planet, fix the planet? And one thing I enjoyed writing about in my novel that is not yet published, but I hope will be next year. Um, one of the things I enjoyed is like, no, the planet's fine. The planet's absolutely fine. The planet's doing its own thing. The planet will restore itself and find right. balance the minute we're not here. It's already yeah. doing it while we're here. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a forest fire is... is um, exists to help the soil become more fertile you know uh, I, I discovered that from a friend in northern california that trees 
literally summon storms and lightning because lightning puts nitrogen into the soil. So the earth is this, and nature in tandem is this super intelligent being. And, and it's not up to us to save it. It's up to us to learn to work with it. But I believe we need help and I believe we need to ask for help. And I believe in our lifetime, things will go, you know, in such a direction that we will be begging for help. And I think when we get to that place, you know, we can start <laughs> whether we'll see beings directly on an individual level. I think, yes, I think on a collective level, it might be a minute, but it's going to happen, right? Because we need help. And there are wise, intelligent beings out there willing and able to help us. And right now they're being very respectful. They're, they're watching us. You know, they can't help us unless we give them our will to come and help. And it doesn't mean that we don't have to make changes, but it means that we're not doing these alone. You know, I think about free energy all the time and how that definitely exists in many different dimensions. I know that there's <laughs> there was no blueprint for the microwave is is a theory and i love that theory that the microwave was a gift from extraterrestrials you know um but but i i do believe you know extra dimensional beings have been working with us throughout humanity and we're in a you know sort of dark age of closing our eyes to all the things that we can't see but um but it's there in my in my mind in my worldview it's there and i i really love talking about it and embracing it Speaking of uh, future beings helping present or past ones, if you could go back in time and give your younger self advice, what would it be? I think trust your creativity. I was, I mentioned kind of, you know, being in, being brought up in this way that was like quite rigid. So even though we did lots of art, it was all about like, you know, achievement or career and I wish I'd had more creative freedom and have trusted my creativity, have pursued it, have gone to film school, which I didn't do. I wish I'd done that. I think that would have just helped me get in this lane quicker. And I spent a lot of my 20s wondering what was missing from my life. And I found out it was writing books. And I know that I would have trusted my desire and will and talents if I'd kind of grown up with more flexibility. So I think it's that. So yes, the other question we ask everyone is because, you know, kismet means fate or destiny in many different languages. Um, so do you believe in fate or destiny? 100%. I believe in fate and destiny. And I believe that it's much more intelligent than we are. It never happens in the way that we expect. And I also believe that the moments that are most fateful are most destined. So often we actually don't realize until after they've happened that they took place. And I think meeting you is one of them. You know, I, we met, um, we met at a dinner with a friend and I know that we then went to some kind of party and I remember having a lovely evening, but you know, did I know that we would become such good friends and work together and, you know, we're basically family. And I, I think it's like an amazing thing. Thank God I went to that dinner, you know. Thank God you went, not just me. Thank God we both went. And um, well, yeah, I think it was actually it... even a stranger coincidence because even the girl who introduced us, it was someone I met through, uh, I was staying at an Airbnb apartment for a few weeks in New York and uh, I left and I think you took the room that I was staying in mm -hmm. and she was like the common link and she's like, I think you guys need to meet. <laughs> You know, I completely forgot that you also stayed there. Yeah, I mean, isn't that magical? I also think, you know, we try and strategize life far too much. I have a friend who's a wonderful musician and he's working out how to get signed. And he came to the epiphany that one, he doesn't want to be signed. He wants to own his music and make all the profit from it. You know, good for him. Two, he realized, oh, he doesn't need to like take a corporate job to pay the bills. So he's been auditioning to sing in a wedding band and it's been going really well. And it's also really well paid. And like, not only is this wedding band, he, he's already been accepted in one and is going for two others. Like these wedding bands are going to train him or give him the space to evolve as a performer. And so I kind of love, I really love that as an example of like, we often, you know, get really prescriptive about what we think we have to do when really we should just follow our artistic talents 
we can still be practical. We can still say, I need a job, but how about a creative job, you know? And I think this is like humanity 3.0 being born is looking at the systems we're in, somewhat accepting them while we are helpless to change, you know, we can't tear down capitalism individually, but, you know, finding a way to exist in it that feels like it honors our spiritual selves, which is our inherent creativity. Okay, well, thank you so much for uh, being a guest on our podcast. In, in case anybody wants to find you or contact you, where where should they go? I think the best place is probably um, Instagram. So I'm, you know, at Mr. Prince William, which is M-R Prince William, one word. And there there's a link to Mooj Productions, which is the production company I run. We do a lot of work in the music industry. And I hope really soon... I'll be announcing the publishing date of my book soon, which is uh, the alien one. So we'll see what happens there. Um, and thank you so much, Joey, for for having me on here. And I really wish you every luck with Kismet as you kind of thank keep you. evolving and growing. And I'm really proud and happy to support your mission in any way. This show was produced, recorded and edited in Berlin, Germany by me, Joey. Check out our website to find a magical selection of consciously sourced crystals, indie tarot and oracle cards, handmade jewelry, and natural candles and incense. You can find us at kismetberlin.com, that is K-I-S-M-E-T-B-E-R-L-I-N.com, as well as on Instagram and TikTok, at kismetberlin, all in one word. Music is by Tobu, and the track is entitled Sapphire. Thanks for listening and stay mystically curious.